Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Karen Odell Barber about the intersection of mainstream neuroscience and medicine tech. This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are leaders in neural recovery and experienced in treating complex concussion cases with dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I volunteer in the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently launched the Brain Health Magazine. You can grab your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. And you can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Don't forget to join my Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Karen Odell Barber. And Karen completed her master's degree in counseling at San Francisco State University with postgraduate training in addiction treatment from UC Berkeley. She was a Malou manager, director of business development, and chief operating officer for Belmont Hills Hospital, an 80-bed neuropsychiatric center. During her tenure, she led the facility through significant restructuring and successful JCAHO review and survey resulting in commendation. She has a hands-on management experience with the areas of clinical service, utilization management and review, operations and maintenance, and outpatient services. She served as adjunct professor of medical economics for Turo University, creating the first-ever medical economics curriculum, which has been adopted in medical schools nationwide. So welcome to the podcast, Karen. We're so happy to have you here today. Oh, Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm really um, excited to chat with you today. And Karen, I like to just start with asking my guests, how did you come to work in the brain injury realm? Sure, sure. Um, Like a lot of people, it's personal for me. So I'm a TBI survivor. Um, I smashed my face um, when I was 15, um, requiring my face to be completely reconstructed. So my damage was to the frontal lobe. Um, I didn't realize the severity of my concussion nor the fact that I actually had three concussions until I was brain mapped um, about five years ago. And so certainly I would have told you that, yes, I had a concussion, but I wouldn't have enumerated how many I had and specifically where they were and how that impacted my brain function until I came to not just work with neurologics, but actually be brain mapped myself. 
Yeah, you know, that's so fascinating. You completely smashed your face and had to have it reconstructed. And it sounds like you broke some bones as well. I did. Yeah. You know, and, and this is common. I hear this frequently that people have some sort of accident in their, their youth and they have no idea. Nobody ever told them um, they had a brain injury. They might have been told they had a concussion, but, you know, we've kind of been taught that concussions just go away. Right. So you don't even think about it sure. anymore. Um, sure. So I think that's so fascinating. You know, I hope that getting all this education and information out to people and hopefully it trickles down into the medical community. And I just, you know, I look at people, I don't know if you struggled, you know, through high school and college at all, but I've definitely met people who didn't know they had a brain injury and they considerably struggled. Um, You know, they had trouble reading or concentrating or, you know, they were written off as ADD and in reality they had a brain injury. Um, So I don't know if you dealt with any of that yourself. You know, it's interesting um, that, that you asked that. So I would have told you that I didn't struggle. Um, I, you know, finished at the top of my class. I, um, I didn't recognize that I had anything that was abnormal until I was in my last semester of grad school. Um, and I took psychometric testing. And as part of that, we, we take all the tests ourselves. And so, um, so my learning difference was not identified until the last semester of grad school by my professor. Um, who who actually told me at the break, um, you have a profound learning difference, and I I kind of chuckled to myself like, are you kidding? And and then when she went into the description of my learning difference, um, and I prefer difference versus disability. They're they're the same thing. It's just a semantic term. Um, but I learned then that I learned very differently, um, and that was identified by a test called DeBerry, um, which looks at um, spatial integration and the way that you um, see things, it explained a ton of, of of my life experience to me, which is inability to read maps, um, inability to kind of find my way out of a subway, um, mm-hmm. geometry, uh, geography, anything that um, that requires me to have the ability to integrate spatially um, was a deficit of mine for sure. Um, math was always a struggle for me. Um, and I, I just looked at it like, okay, math's a struggle for me. Great. I'll just major in something that doesn't require math. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we work around uh, our disabilities yeah. without realizing or recognizing their severity mm-hmm. sometimes. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, I think I think it's critical to help get teachers in to recognize um, teachers and like school counselors, right. Um, to help them recognize, okay, this kid's struggling and to like dig deeper. Like, have you been in a car accident? Have you fallen off your bike? You know, like dig down to see if there's been something that happened in the last year or two. Um, cause often, you know, teachers notice like, okay, this kid was doing great until this year. What happened? Right. Um, right. And like you said, we, we just cope. We don't always know, uh, that it's a result from a brain injury and we just find coping mechanisms to circumvent. Like you said, sure. okay, I'm not good at math. I'm going to go into English, you know, or, sure. or whatever. So, so yeah, that's, um, that's a really, really great point that we're very, we're very good. Our brains are incredible at helping us cope, right? Like they, sure. they like recircuit and go around the deficit and help us um, cope with whatever deficit we're dealing with. 
Sure. So Karen, um, so you are, what, what is your actual title? You have um, your master's degree in counseling. Um, are you a neuropsychologist or are you a therapist? I'm a what clinician. is your title? So I, clinician. I'm okay. a therapist. My, my role at Neurologics is I'm the founder and chairman of Neurologics, which is a neuroscience company. Um, and I, I came to be interested in brain health early on. Um, Certainly, I think my my personal intersection as a TBI survivor had something to do with it. Um, and I specifically, my my lifetime um, career has been devoted to the intersection of traumatic brain injury and addiction, specifically in adolescents, um, seventeen or sorry, twelve to twenty five. Um, so for me, my specific interest was looking at how we're wired and how traumatic brain injury impacts um, relapse in adolescents and young adults, and also how undiagnosed uh, TBI in the substance-using population um, has an intersection as well. Um, It was profound to me to recognize that in the substance use population, more than 40% um, of diagnosed substance users have undiagnosed traumatic brain injury. Um, and that, that piece I don't feel like we talk about enough. Um, yeah. And so my, my interest in neurologics came first through my professional training in substance use. And then kind of the part that stuck to the wall, I, I think a lot of companies um, find their vertical just by where they're adopted. And so in, in looking at couldn't we all use a functional brain, um, you know, we had uh, originally six verticals. Um, and the one that has taken off like wildfire has been specifically concussion and TBI um, in sports. And so in the last five years, um, you know, we've gone from saying, no, 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 there's no problem. Concussion's not a problem in the sports arena. No, 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 we don't have a problem to actually a place where um, Division One colleges reach out to us as best in class um, and, and actually call us and say, we need to know what neurologics is. Um, the NCAA has been amazing at being able to recognize um, not only the severity um, and the kind of overwhelm of concussion in sports, but also to take really proactive measures to find best-in-class um, companies that can not only identify TBI, but also help to remediate the, the deficits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think the whole addiction circle is really, really fascinating. I know for myself personally, um, after my brain injury, it wasn't right away that I learned this, but about a year into my recovery, I learned how um, harmful alcohol is to your brain, especially a brain that's trying to heal. And so I completely quit drinking alcohol. I don't drink it at all anymore. On very rare occasions, I might have like a Bailey's. (laughs) But overall, I don't drink alcohol at all. Um, It's just not worth it to me because, you know, there is that risk of addiction. But then just the simple fact that it's harmful for your brain, especially a brain that's healing. And your chance of suffering another TBI while intoxicated also goes up exponentially as well. You know, you trip on a curb and fall down or, you know, whatever. Um, 
So, you know, I think it's such an, it's not talked about enough and, you know, people don't want to hear it either. Right. Like, but it's so important. Excuse me. It's so important that we get that information out there because I see so many TBI survivors just abusing alcohol and, you know, what other, other substances as well, but alcohol is the primary one that I see. And, you know, I've been at events with, with, you know, with a whole bunch of survivors and everybody's doing great. And then somebody has a beer, a single beer and watching them change drinking that single beer, They've gone all day talking and walking and doing things. Now, all of a sudden, they're stuttering. Their balance is off just from a single beer. And that was really profound to me to witness that in other survivor friends. And, you know, they probably don't even notice it, right? Um, Sure. But I found that really, really fascinating. And I'm curious if you have any other insight into that. Um, I mean, I would say TBI is characterized traditionally by difficulty with auditory processing, and that's usually the most recognizable feature. The silent feature is that it impacts cognitive efficiency and memory, um, and that was was what really showed up on my own brain map. So, so for me, it's interesting to admit that you know while the company has been in effect for 10 years, until five years, I thought I didn't need a brain map myself. Um, and I think that's the the silent, we call it the silent epidemic, because we walk around and no one can tell that we're brain injured. Um, so I, I think there certainly are TBI survivors where their disability is much more recognizable. But for me, I think if you had 15 people in a room and said, is this woman brain injured, at least 12 of them would say no. Um, so I, I think that the fact that this is such a silent injury is, makes it hard to discern what exactly is is the impact to you. For me, it's memory. Um, for me, in my own um, brain map, I, I was shocked to recognize that I only remembered 58% of the material. And so for me, that created a tremendous amount of stress um, that I wasn't aware that I had. Um, and, and to say we only remember 58% of material Again, we're talking about coping mechanisms and the way that we work around them. I read pretty quickly, so I would read each new thing. If I was reading a a book or a journal article, I would read each sentence three times to lock it in without recognizing that 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 was what I needed to do in order to be able to lock it in. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mine was described as a merciful head injury, and, and back to your point, um, mine was described as a merciful head injury because mine didn't involve auditory processing difficulty. Um, I think the most recognizable head trauma survivors or TBI survivors are those that have difficulty both with processing speed and accuracy of the information that they are processing. And certainly when alcohol is involved, that impacts both of those things and makes them much more recognizable. So, for example, um, uh, you know, one of the the verticals that we work with is NFL players and Division One college players, um, the difficulty they report most often is not being able to understand the plays in real time when they're stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, alcohol certainly slows your reflexes in response time. So to answer your question, um, when you add those things together, then suddenly the kind of silent disability becomes much more recognizable. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and, and I would assume, you know, like in, in regard to the NFL player who can't recognize calls, you know, like he might have, might've been out the night before drinking. Right. Um, sure. And those effects don't just leave our body in 24 hours, alcohol, those effects can stay in our bodies. Um, I don't know the exact number, but I know that it's days. And so I think that that's a really, you know, and then if you drink every day, you're not, getting all those toxins out of your body, right? Um, Correct. So I think that's really important for people to understand if you do choose to have a drink. um, You know, I know people who've been told by their doctors, oh, yeah, just, you know, just cut it down to like one or two drinks a day. And it's like, no, you know, don't even put that in you. Like, do you really need to put that into your body? Um, And, you know, I get it. And then the addiction component of it is a whole other, a whole other thing. Right. And so I'm curious if in all of your study, um, are you finding that addiction, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this. So are you finding that people who already have a brain injury are more likely to have an addiction or are you finding that people with addiction are more likely to have a TBI? Does that make sense? Second, yeah, sure it does. Um, what we're finding is that people with diagnosed substance use disorder have an undiagnosed head trauma 40% of the time, and a lot of the time they don't recall injuring their head at all. Mm-hmm. So, and that might have been because so, they were intoxicated, possibly. Sure, sure, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So those two things go hand in hand, and I think that the data is to recognize that, but we're getting better, especially with, um, you know, things like the NCAA concussion study um, and the money that's being devoted to athletes with concussion. There's a trickle-down effect and a halo effect in sports where, um, you know, especially in the United States over other areas, we value sports so highly that in the event that there's a lot of research in the sports arena, that trickles down into regular folks like you and me. And what, you know, what are we starting to find? I know this is still really, really new. Um, So what are we starting to find with helping these individuals who do have a TBI and an addiction problem? Yeah, it's it's not that new, actually. I mean, um, the psychiatrist I practice with has been using this technology in his practice for 20 years. Um, It's new in, in the... Um, regard that it's been accepted in in mainstream medicine, it's it's FDA approved. Um, you know we have um, a great relationship with the NCAA, and and that piece is new. Um, so I think that the newness is Western medicine adoption of um, looking at the neuroelectric activity of your brain in addition to the structure of your brain. So um, meaning that. For many, many years, the idea is, oh, you have a concussion, let's get an MRI. An MRI looks at the structure of your right. brain, not the person, right? And, and so being able to look at our brain is neuroelectric. Um, being able to look at the neuroelectric function in addition to the structure as the total picture of brain health, that's reasonably new, meaning in, in the last five years, it's become a lot more mainstream. And again, you can um, equate that to things like the movie concussion, um, the, the widespread press coverage of concussion in sports has helped the field of concussion and traumatic brain injury immensely in terms of funding, in terms of, um, you know, 
public interest and curiosity. I think that um, for things to begin in a place like the platform of sports and celebrity, again, it trickles down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what what is the technology that you guys are using? What is it that you are finding um, helpful to measure the brain function? Sure, sure. So at Neurologics, we have a best-in-class QEEG, um, and that measures the neuroelectric activity of your brain while you're taking psychometric testing measures. So it actually measures the brain at the speed of thought. So other technologies um, have a blunted instrument, meaning looking at your brain while you're resting isn't helpful when what we mm-hmm. do in real life is use our brains to think. And our our brains obviously think very quickly. And so to have an instrument that keeps up with the speed of thought while it's putting the brain through its paces is super important. And to be able to look at the brain under task and under stress is far different than looking at the brain in a perfect environment in like a quiet room. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So being able to, um, my business partner who's a psychiatrist, Dr. Terry Egan, um, he often says to patients, how you think in a quiet, perfectly air-conditioned room is much different than how you perform on the freeway, on the 405 with three kids in the back seat and one of them <laughs> screaming and the other one has the window down. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that's easy to get a visual on in, in terms of in a perfect environment when we measure IQ in the traditional means, you're sitting in a quiet office um, with absolutely no interruption um, and, and your brain is not taxed or stressed. And I think what's so different and uh, about TBI survivors is also the way that we cope with stress under default. And so yeah. in, in a perfect environment, not stressed, we may function at our former level or at a very optimized level. But when you're asked to do something like multitask or you're asked to do something that's um, time-limited or you're put under um, a, a tremendous amount of stressor, stress due to outside stressors, um, then, then that's where you see deficits a little more clearly. So being able to measure the neuroelectric activity of your brain as you perform tasks and being able to take the brain, regardless of whether it's an Olympic brain, whether it's a super high-performing child who can do gait, taking that brain, regardless of function, past its ordinary point of function to look at where it defaults, that's what we do. And we look at um, 293 domains of the brain um, to look at a snapshot of total brain function, everything from how we remember to how we process information, to which part of our brain lights up in default, um, how resilient our brain is, how we recover. Um, All all of those things um, produces about a 32-page report, um, which is really helpful for not just caregivers and not just educators and not just um, um, people on our treatment team, but also for the person who has the injury themselves. So, for Mm -hmm. example, that's where it was discovered that I only remember 58% of the material. And that the marriage of the optimization process is the best part, um, meaning that it's helpful to know where you function, but being able to know that regardless of where you function, you can improve that by 15 to 18 functional IQ points. That's a game changer um, for all of us to be able to, to look at 
having a new and improved version of our brain or having our old brain back, um, that is a, for me, the most hopeful part of what we do. And so once you gather this information, how are you guys able to help people gain back um, those IQ points and, and help recover from those deficits? Sure, sure. So at Neurologics, we have a process called neuroengineering. Um, and what it does is open new neural pathways um, through guided, a guided process of brain training um, where there's a Skype platform, there's another human on the other side. Um, three times a week, you would um, make an appointment with your neuro coach and be able to go through a series of brain exercises that function like your brain at the gym. So, for example, if you go to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's legs day, um, you would be able to have very specific guided exercises based specifically on the findings of your map in order to optimize the portions of your brain that are either overperforming or underperforming to bring those into optimized balance. Awesome. So, Karen, we are just about out of time. And so I just kind of want to circle back and ask if there's anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to make sure we mentioned today. Um, oh, I, I am honored that you asked me to be on your show. Um, I, I think it's really important that people not give up and, and that people understand that through neuroplasticity, especially through guided exercises, you're not stuck in the place where you currently yeah. are. So to be able to um, give all survivors hope that regardless of current function, that it, it does get better sequentially and routinely and that um, you know, there, there certainly are modalities that can help with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that brings up a really good point. And I am sure that, I mean, you're a prime example. You're years out from your injury. Um, but I'm sure that you see that all the time. You see people 5, 10, 20 years out um, who are able to make gains. And, you know, I think that's one thing that traditional doctors haven't caught up with yet. I know I was told Agreed. at the one year mark that you know, oh, well, this is the best you're going to be. And I was like, well, why didn't we do anything yet? You know, it was like so frustrating to me. And and then to learn later, you know, finding the right doctor and the right treatment. But it's like you, you can recover at any point. Um, just because Absolutely. you haven't found the right treatment doesn't mean you're stuck where you're at. Yeah. And I'm sure, I like I said, more. I'm sure you've seen that repeatedly in what you do. Every day. Yeah. Well, Karen, Karen, thank you so much for being here today. This has been a great conversation, um, a topic that's really needed to be talked about. So thank you so much for being here today and just sharing everything with our listeners. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode with Karen Odell Barber. And just a reminder, you can always find today's and any previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. And just a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And don't forget to join Amy's TBI tribe on Facebook. And just another thank you to the Functional Neurology Center, the concussion doctors you can trust in the Midwest. Find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you again next time.